Hey, Collaborists, I'm Ben Leroy. And I'm Jason Buckholz. And you're listening to Collaboracast. doing Ben? You know I'm doing okay. I have a summer weather report that is a little bit nicer than some of the previous ones. It's nice. It's warm without being oppressive. At night there's a little crispness in the air which makes me think sadly that fall will be around sooner or later and I'll have something new to complain about. How are things out your way? There, this time of year here, it's uh, foggy and chilly, strangely. It's uh, September and October tend to be what one would classically think of as summer weather out here. Um, Something about the fog. uh, So much of our weather is determined by whatever the ocean and the bay are doing. But you're not one of those. I thought all writers had to love fall. I thought that was like the, the thing. We're all we're all autumnal beings break out my tweed hoodie with the elbow patches and everything no pumpkin spice latte no (laughs) sit in the coffee shop and brood and be sad yeah listen to post rock yeah well let's just be real that's probably gonna happen (laughs) uh before we go on i wanted to share with people two bits of good news. And then I'll remind you again at the end of the episode, just in case you're not paying attention right now, you don't have to pause and rewind 10 seconds. Two things. Collaborist is now over on Patreon. You can go to patreon.com backslash collaborist, and you can see ways to support Collaborist and and be uh, the beneficiary of some goodies. The other thing is we are doing a Free query letter review, August 1st through August 7th. Details will be on the website at collaborist.org. All of that housekeeping out of the way. Mr. Buckholtz, you and I have been discussing how to write a novel in 2022. What is today's topic? Today's topic is uh, this minor aspect of fiction called plot and stakes and tension and pace. Just this this minor little minor. facet that some people, yeah may want to may want to tune into, or you might not. You, you know, maybe you don't want those things in your manuscript. Very possible. But Very uh, possible. yeah, we've talked about protagonists, antagonists, points of view, where to start. So obviously, the plot is the big driving engine. It it is the what of your of your story. And um, there are so many great examples to draw from, but um, I, I often you'll find, I, I find it hard to talk about, I rattled off that list, your plot, your stakes, your tension, your pace. I find it hard to, to talk about any one of those things in isolation, because to me, they're all parts of the same engine. And in a good manuscript, everything works together. The location becomes important. I mean, everything is all integrated, but the main engine, the main driver of your plot, that's that's when someone says, hey, what is your book about? 
that's the answer you're going to, that's your elevator pitch. This is, this is the, you know, the, the 10, 15 second spiel you're going to give is going to revolve around your plot. And it can only really be described in terms of what the stakes and what the tension are. And then pace comes about from how well you handle those things. Yes. And the need for a particular pace is dependent upon genre. It's okay to have a slower pace to things in a book that isn't a thriller, but if you have a super laid back thriller, you might not be doing an effective job of writing a thriller. And I think one important thing that you just mentioned and that's worth considering when you are thinking about your elevator pitch about what your book is about is that the author Harry Cruz had an interview that I watched and he said something to me that is should be self-apparent and obvious, but it was not to me until I saw it. But there was the question of what is your book about versus what happens in your book? And those are two different questions, both of which you need to keep in mind as you're writing to make sure that they are effective strands of DNA wrapped around each other. How would you define the, that difference between the, those two questions? Uh, give me... I'm trying to think. I've, I'm so bad with movies. Um, and I'm trying, like, now if you said, like, well, name a movie, I'm like, I, I don't know. Like, I can't even think of a movie <laughs> right now. Uh, Karate Kid. What happens in The Karate Kid is that Daniel LaRusso is bullied, goes to Mr. Miyagi, learns karate, fights in the big tournament. That's what happens. But this is about a human being having to get the confidence. It's about a human, it's about a teenager who I think was like 55 when the movie was shot, but a teenager learning the art of resilience of sense of self of surrendering the ego because you know he's he's challenging Mr. Miyagi along the way about like well this is stupid why are you teaching me well, you know why am I sanding the deck or painting the fence like so it's about surrendering the ego it's about relearning the world and how to interact with it in a better way. During that, a bunch of karate happens, a bunch of fighting happens. But it's not simply sufficient to me, at least, to say the Karate Kid is a story about a teenager learning karate and then winning a tournament. That's not, that's what happens. But what it's about is something different. I would articulate the two of them in different ways winning the tournament was certainly sufficient for me on my 10th birthday at the drive-in which was <laughs> one of my most memorable birthdays ever as you can tell more than a quarter century later i'm still like that's I'm still chasing that dragon but yeah. now as a professional storyteller you're absolutely right we're looking at at 
more nuanced examinations of the human condition of the things that we all go through things that we can relate to things that are are these universals that will pull in a variety of readers not only 10 year old wannabe karatikas <laughs> i'm not yeah. sure i'm saying that word right yeah so it's so that's that's just something to think about and there may be some tension adjustment that goes with pace that has an influence on what is this about and what is happening and and being able to make it more obvious in some cases and in other cases maybe you're trying to blend it so there's a 50 50 blend and sometimes I, i'm definitely guilty of being the jerk who during a high octane thriller movie i'm i'm the guy who's like that would never happen wait what like that that would never happen either and people will say can you just watch and be enthralled by the michael bay explosions and the high speed car race and that seems to be sufficient for some people in some movies to just watch the spectacle of it i am the jerk who's always like well why is this person driving so fast and like what is the root issue here and sometimes sometimes you can use a spoon to get to the bottom of it and sometimes you need a shovel and that's that's a thing that every author is going to have to make that decision and think about that when they're going back to do their revision is get striking that balance like you said that all really depends on genre there are some stories that are really very subtle studies of character and show somebody evolving very slowly um but but inexorably and interestingly if done well in which case the stakes are going to be rather different than what they would be like you said in a thriller um I, I, if we could start by just talking about what stakes are, what that means. One of my, I think that that is oftentimes people will talk about plot first, but I think that that can sometimes be putting the, the cart before the horse. Um, those are, you know, the plot is, are the things that happen, but the stakes are, are why they're happening. And I, I, I think that it works best if you figure out why things need to happen. And then you have that underlying foundation for what it is that needs to happen. So stakes are, the story is some series of events. You've got a, you've got a, a character trying to do something. And the stakes are what happens if that character fails to do that. I love to talk about Lord of the Rings as I think it's, it's just such a, a universal, it's, it's so clear cut. It's such a, it's such a good teaching story because all, all of those things are completely clear. And in this case, the, the, the stakes in Lord of the Rings are that evil is going to take over all of Middle Earth and everybody is going to be enslaved by Sauron. So that's an that's an example of maximum stakes. Everybody evil is going to win. Everybody is going to be subjugated by evil. That's what Frodo's up against. So then the the plot becomes the things that he has to do in order to 
make that not happen in order to to change that and and the the tension comes from the the how serious the stakes are and how serious the obstacles are for him all the things that are stacked against him so we see him going through three whole books you know, i think i have them all in one volume it's you know 900 pages or something and so we see him going through obstacle after obstacle he you know he gets allies there are side quests and all sorts of things but ultimately he's trying to get to mount doom he's got to get to those cracks he's got to toss that ring in there so that soren can't get a hold of all the rings and take over the world so um the tension then comes from your you as the reader are fully invested in his journey because of those stakes and Tolkien does a great job even sustaining this over over three books, over hundreds and hundreds of pages of presenting him with problem after problem that he has to overcome over, over and over again. And that he, it's a, there are even when he has is on these side quests, even when he's dealing with things that that don't seem to directly impact his quest. He's got to do that so he can get back on track. So he can get to, you know, there's always, there's the, you know, one step backwards, two steps forward. He's got to get through all these things. And the whole time you're invested in it because of the, the height of those stakes. And that's where the tension comes from. So that's, that is a, a clear example of kind of more like you were talking about a thriller. We talked about character studies that that's kind of an example of the, the, most heightened clear-cut examples of those different things that 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 i typically talk about i was trying to think of within my own collection of books that i feel most familiar with and i would say that surprisingly a lot of my reading for fun or enjoyment is outside of the crime and thriller genres, which is where I have spent a lot of my time in the publishing world. And I was thinking about Franny and Zoe by J.D. Salinger. And I'm hard pressed to think of many books that have less action going on in them. And yet I'm compelled and have a... Uh, a serious investment in what is going to happen, even though it's not super exciting. It's not, um, there are no car chases. In fact, the, the Zoe half of it all occurs essentially over the phone and two people in a, in a, on a phone call. How important when you're talking about Lord of the Rings, and you're talking about, uh, you know, 10,000 pages of, of a book or of a, of a series of a trilogy. Uh, how does the writing itself affect stakes and plot and pace? I think in, 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 I think that as pace slows down as the stakes get more subtle and nuanced. And I was thinking about Salinger too. I was thinking about Catcher in the Rye and how 
riveting that book is. And it has a little more action than Franny and Zoe, but not a whole lot. You know, I think he gets, Holden gets decked in the stomach in an elevator at one point. And I think that's the big interpersonal, <laughs> I think that's the big climax. Um, or, but it's, you know, those those do operate on much more subtle layers. And, and my favorite books, you know, I was thinking about um, 100 Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. And that's that's 100 years of a family. So there's no, there are central characters, but it's, he goes through several generations of this family. And so he's, he's crafting, you know, it's, it's this, there are all these stories and stories within stories, but the overall, and it's been years since I've read that. I've, it's one of those books that is on my list to reread and then other things pop up. But it's it's a whole different way of crafting tension and stakes, and it's more you're 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 invested in the kind of the spiritual character of this family and their their place in this society, um, and and kind of what is going to be become of them. But I think that as as the stakes get more abstract like that, then I think the quality of the writing. I think that that's where you really veer into what is labeled literary fiction, where it becomes more about the artistry of it than the storytelling, um, than, than, you know, the intricate plotting or the nail biting scenes or the, you know, the car chases or, you know, Vin Diesel uh, jumping off of cars and flying 60 feet through the air, you know? Yeah. I was thinking just going back to Franny and Zoe and and books like that. And again, that's kind of where I skew. It's to me, and specifically with that book, I guess, there's the equivalent of Daniel LaRusso hitting the crane kick at the tournament is going to be like one sentence or one paragraph where I feel my DNA inside me shift because I just saw and read something that was either so artfully rendered or was so profound that it, it changes, it changes me. And I'm not, I'm not being dramatic. I'm not wearing my tweed coat. I'm not doing any of that. Like it changes me. Like I can point to, and I'm not going to do any spoiling of it, but I mean, I can point to sections in Franny and Zoe that changed my life. And when I read it, I had an acknowledgement of like, well, that changed my life. And I think that if those sentences or those scenes had been buried in a book that was like, I'm chasing after a serial killer, it would have never had that same effect. It was, it was so well done to create this environment. Like we're here and we're calm and we're reading and we're being deliberate and we want to make sure that we see every piece of punctuation and that we see every word and we're just going to take it at this pace that then it consumes you from the inside which is to me you know such a beautiful thing so instead of the external explosion it's the internal implosion of like my world just caved in on itself and now it's something else when it comes back to life i i that's 
all beautifully said. And I think that that is what the real, I think you, you just verbalized why I have, why I write, why I've dedicated myself to the novel form, because I think that the novel is uniquely suited to be able to, to do that. I think that there are, there are some filmmakers who have complete mastery of all the language of cinema um, and cinematography who can impart moments like that. But I think that that, I think you just hit on the real difference of what makes, what makes a book unique, what makes that art form unique compared to a movie or compared to, to anything else. It's that ability to, through the, just the sheer length, the sheer depth that they enable that they're able to hit upon these these subtle conditions in humanity these 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 emotions that that don't have you know we you sit there with a kid's book about feelings and it's, it's going to run through 20 things but there are plenty of other emotions and observations and ways that we feel that require an entire novel to describe this one feeling and I think that when you come across that, when you come across that moment and there's that, that, that resonance with something that you feel, that's something ineffable, something that you just cannot put into words, but then there it is. And this author has, has through the machinations of all these characters and everything that they're doing can, can come to one of these moments, one of these lines like you're talking about. And it just like that that's it that's that's something and i don't i can't name it other than to give somebody else this book and say you have to read this my favorite passage in all of literature comes from this book right here in the skin of a lion by michael ondace and it's a very quiet scene um the main character and his lady friend are just resting in a room at night and he's quoting joseph conrad to her and there are there's just a combination of the 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 history of their relationship and the 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 details that Ondace mentions in in the scene the sensory details and the interaction and it's it's so quiet and subtle and beautiful that it just I think about it all the time and yeah that's it, it, it's a very different type of work than you would find in a thriller and i don't i've got nothing again i'm i'm in a sci-fi i'm binging sci-fi right now i spoiler alert if you haven't read dune then you might want to cover your ears for a minute i talked about the baron harkonnen last episode turns out he does not have any redemption at the end so he, he was turns out he was an appropriate villainous character the antagonist of all antagonists yeah, he 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 dies rather anticlimactically by getting stabbed with a by a prescient three year old. But that's, <laughs> that's how it goes sometimes, I guess. And I so I went from Doom Dune to Neuromancer, which is another of the you know the the, the sci fi classics, and it's full of action and drugs and people getting shot and danger and the the stakes in that book are that the uh main character has had he's got these 
poison sacks that are sewn into his arteries and he's got to do this hacking job for this guy and if he does the job then this guy is going to like make it so that these sacks disappear from his bloodstream if he doesn't do the job then the sacks are going to dissolve and dump this neurotoxin into him which wow. is yeah so he's got like there is this it, so that's you know those are very high stakes it's like yeah. so he's and I don't, this book is confusing as hell. I got to say, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to it on audiobook. I'm finding myself com constantly rewinding and like reading the plot summary on Wikipedia. So I can try to figure out where I am, but, um, you Not know, gonna lie, I've had to do that on some things too. And this, this is actually when you were speaking about why the novel is uniquely situated to have the emotional impacts that it can we're not dependent on mechanically rewinding media be it music be it an audiobook be it a movie we are able to go right back to where we were and reread the text and reread it again and again and again without having to pull ourselves from the moment by using a remote control or you know, hitting buttons or not getting it right. Like we are in control. And so we can sit in the cradle of that sentence or that paragraph and, and let it be this thing that holds us while we hold it. And that is the magic of writing. Absolutely. And in the hands of a skilled writer, the ability to bring together all these things, character, characters, compelling characters with depth and dimension, moving through some type of story, moving through a plot with, with something at stake, with, you know, something that's going to happen, something that is, you know, it, when you, when you can convince a reader to care about somebody, then you, then you've got them. And you, this has come up before, but Every time I have stopped reading a book, put it down, put it back on the shelf or walked out of a movie, it's because I came to the realization that I just didn't really care what happened to, to the characters. It doesn't, and all the plot in the world doesn't matter if I don't really care what happens in that plot. If I don't, it, you can have high stakes, you can have all kinds of tension, you can have an intricate plot. But if at any given scene, I don't really care if the, your protagonist makes it through or not, then it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Right. So, um, but once you have a character with some depth that your readers are going to care about, that your viewers are going to care about, then you can send them through all, all sorts of things and, and have the reader follow along. One of the, a, a difficult thing to do is to keep that tension constant. And that doesn't mean that the action has to be constant. Um, I'm as an editor, I'm always advocating for resting places. You know, it's like you, you can't, I mean, who didn't love Mad Max, the last Mad Max, which was just a, a two hour car chase. Yeah, fine. I'm all in, but in other, you know, in, in a novel, there are, you got to have, 
there can be you there there's a way to have your characters rest to have them take a breath to have them be among friends to have the to have the immediate danger ratchet down but that doesn't mean that the tension is going away it's looming it's looming and and it's like you know even in those moments where the immediate tension has been turned down so now we're all having dinner now we're all relaxing we know that sooner or later the dinner ends and the threat reappears the threat reemerges and the characters know that too so they're not they're they're able to take a breath but they're not fully relaxed they're not they they might be able to lie down get a night of sleep but it's not going to be great sleep they're not going to have comfy cozy dreams it's an existential um, crisis right all right. Well, do you have anything else you would like to add to this episode, Mr. Buckholz? I guess I would leave viewers slash writers with a little bit of advice. If you're stuck with your plot, if you get, if you're finding that you're not quite sure what to do, then just think about new elements that you can introduce. Maybe you're missing a character. Maybe you need to have a character come in. Maybe you need to have some other type of danger, maybe a different location. There are any of a number of ways that that stories can can zig and zag. And and uh, if you find that you're stuck, then it's so fun world building and story building and being able to come up with all that. But sometimes it's hard to see the the array of options before you. And um, yeah, there's all, all, all kinds of things that you can do to jumpstart your story to kind of surprise yourself surprise your characters and we can help we certainly can if you enjoy this episode of collaborocast or any of the other ones please feel free to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts or leave us a comment on youtube i think that's pretty much it here i do want to remind people that we are now on patreon so go over there there are a bevy of benefits waiting for you and we will be doing free query letter review August 1st through the 7th. Details on the website at collaborist.org. That bevy of benefits that you mentioned, yes. there are some killer deals on there. This is not just t-shirts, although we do have t-shirts. This is also, you know, at the higher levels, you can get monthly coaching calls. You can get you you can get things for supporting us via Patreon that people pay lots and lots of money for elsewhere. Yes. All right. For story. For community. Collaborate. Collaborate.